everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers, the show where we dig a little bit deeper to understand what's really important in business. I'm your host, Dave Bookbinder, the Senior Director of Valuation Services at Pine Hill Group. And today we're talking about your most valuable asset. I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Mark Prine, who's the founder of MIP Consulting, also an organizational psychologist. Mark, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. It's tell, great. T tell the audience a little bit about your background. What is an organizational psychologist? Sure. So industrial organizational psychologist, as it's uh, so best marketed, um, you know, the longest, most complicated title in history, uh, is all about using psychology and the ideas of behaviorism in the workplace. Um, what it really focuses on is really two sides of the coin. Um, big picture things like how your organization is designed, the structure, the people, the org development side of things, and then uh, kind of honing in on the selection, development, succession planning, all of that. So it's really all about using, um, using data and using psychology to make empirical choices about people in the workplace. Wow. Lots to unpack there, so many good <laughs> topics. And I'm gonna let you help steer where we go and which, which rabbit holes we're gonna dive down. But I wanted to start with something that I, I found on your website, I'm gonna read a quote. You mentioned that separating company strategy from people strategy doesn't work. Talk about that, talk about the, the impact that people bring to the value of a business. Sure, um, so often we have a, a company strategy and a direction that we wanna go into, um, but the way that people are managed and the way that employees are handled doesn't push people towards that strategy. Uh, I did one project, for instance, where I was working with a sales organization that had 40% turnover. Um, they were hyping up how much of a team and collaboration and all of these things on their website and you know very kitschy things of, of what kind of company they wanted to be and how they wanted to strategically go to market. Uh, I did a few ride-alongs with their top salespeople and realized it was the most independent job ever. Uh, so what they ended up not doing was having the structure in place to either incentivize or put people in a place to be successful um, based on what their strategy was. Yeah. So in this world of what I'll call HR consulting and, mm -hmm. and analysts and folks who are involved in people development and so forth, organizational psychologist, does that help differentiate you and rise above the, the noise, so to speak? Yeah, I believe so, uh, because all of the tenants are backed in empirical research and psychology. I'm not going to do anything with a client or no organizational psychologist is going to do something in a client that isn't um, proven in research and isn't something that's been tested out. And I think that that's a big key component to it, um, bringing in from an ethical perspective, making sure that what you're doing is going to work within your particular organization. Uh, there's been a lot of great business books and, and ideas that have flown out, a lot of pop, pop management books. Um, but taking those big ideas and trying to put them into your company don't always work. So it's important that whatever you're doing, there's a little bit of a, a research aspect to it uh, and making sure that what you're doing fits what you need. Um, you know, the, the motto that I kind of threw out there is bespoke is best. You know, finding a, a good tailored suit is gonna fit you best and it's gonna make sure that it works um, for what you need, not necessarily for what a CEO of a major Fortune 500 company needs. Right, yeah, so cookie cutter solutions don't work for everybody, obviously. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that in my line of work as well. 
Organizational psychology, that's not something that's uh, a relatively new concept though, right? That there's been some history there. No, there, there's plenty of history. So uh, I believe the beginning of organizational psychology started around World War I with training carrier pigeons to take messages from the back lines out into the trenches. Um, so it was just the idea of how do we train people and position them in the right places. Um, Henry Ford did a lot of work with timepiece studies when he was de designing the assembly line. And it's the same idea of what is it that people need to do? How do we get people um, to really put our strategy into, into motion and, and make our company successful? Interesting. When you talk about the, the carrier pigeons, my first thought was you got to train the birds first, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's where it started, right? Yeah. Okay. So interesting um, stuff. So let, let's take it from the beginning, right? Hiring. Mm -hmm. um, bad hiring uh, is expensive. It's really expensive. Yeah. So how does uh, as a management team think about that and preventing bad hiring decisions? Sure. Um, so the idea is first you need to know what is it that we want to measure before we measure it, right? How many times do you bring in a candidate and they are um, being asked, okay, walk me through your resume, tell me about yourself. Um, there's no consistency in the interviewing process and really if you interview somebody and I interview somebody, we're gonna have different standards for what good looks like. So the first idea and the first thing you need to do is have, a, it's another sterile term, a job analysis or a competency model to identify these are the knowledge, skills, abilities that are necessary for what good looks like. What do the behaviors look like? Um, making sure that you understand exactly what type of environment you have uh, so that the person coming into it can be successful. Um, then using things like interview guides or role plays, some people use inbox assessment type things, um, personality assessments, cognitive ability assessments, because you have, this is what good looks like, kind of the center of the target, and then what are the arrows, what are the other tools that you're gonna use to then kind of see if this person's the right fit for your organization. It's, it's not just, can they do the job? It's can they do the job the way that we want to in our environment? Right. So you'll help an organization design an interview program, for example. Exactly. The entire selection process from what you want to measure to how you measure it to what your evaluation guidelines are and kind of your selection criteria. Yeah. So I've got to think that's kind of a big deal, as an old colleague of mine might have said, uh, because I think most people are really uncomfortable doing the interview. Am I going to ask the right questions? Am I going to be intimidating? Am I conveying the right corporate culture? So uh, if somebody is implementing this interview structure, what, what's the best piece of advice you might offer somebody who's just thinking about it right now, why they might want to go down that path? Um, be honest, right? Be honest with the candidate. Uh, there's an idea called a realistic job preview. And what a realistic job preview is, is really just making sure that you're conveying to a candidate the most, the most real and, um, you know, idea about and, and kind of painting the accurate picture of what it looks like within an organization. Um, there's a good and a bad part to every job. Um, and making sure people know what it is and saying this is what you're signing up for. Um, these are all the great things, this is what your team's like, but you know what, sometimes we have to work late. Sometimes yeah. we need to do X, Y, Z. Um, some jobs you just have to take out the trash and that's just part of the job. Um, when you do that, there's a, a crazy phenomenon within psychology research that if you tell people what you expect of them, they actually do it. Um, so making sure that there's, that's lined up ahead of time, uh, you're gonna be more successful within the interviewing process. Yeah, so if a candidate knows that they're gonna have to take out the trash, for example, if that doesn't align with their goals and their desires, they'll self-select and they'll opt out. Exactly, or at least they'll know when they're doing it, this is 
you know, yep. this is the bad part of the job. Gotcha. We've got a couple of minutes before we go to break, so I want okay. to try and sneak in at least one more topic. Sure. Uh, team building. So you're interviewing the candidate, um, our, our audience is interviewing their candidates, and they've assessed that the person is a good fit for the role. Mm -hmm. How about assessing them as a fit for the team and the organization? Sure. So it, it's all about thinking, what does the team have and what does the team need? Um, what is the way that the communication style of the team, how do they like to work together, how do they like to get things done, and does this person like to operate and execute within the same way? Um, like I said earlier, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it that's important. Yeah. So somebody who may be a more of an independent thinker, independent worker, who's now got to be more in a collaborative environment, you can tease that out through your process so that everybody knows the right role and the right fit. Exactly. It's understanding how people like to operate. Um, you know, everybody has a, a propensity to doing and acting and, and working in a specific way. They have a, a desired path that's just the easiest way to do it. And what I always say is, if you're asking people to go against the grain all the time and they're, do, they're acting in the way that's the opposite to what their favorite or kind of comfortable way of operating is, um, then they're going to burn out. That, that's where you're going to get turnover, that's where you're going to get low performance. Whereas if you find somebody who operates and acts the same way that you like to and that your team wants to, um, then that person's going to jump in feet first and they're going to be successful and help the people around them be successful. That makes perfect sense. So let me just ask you this though and kind of parroting it back. So if there were, for example, 100 bullet points, checkpoints to go through and a criteria to determine if somebody's a good fit for the role and for the team and the organization, if they don't check all of them, are they still a good hire? Yes, I mean, you're never going to find somebody who okay. is a 100% best fit, great fit. Um, usually those people are going to be too good to be true. Um, what it is is understanding what your gaps are and are those things that you're willing to, to work on. Um, you know, most of the assessments that I'm doing when I'm working with a client and helping them find who the best candidate is, um, I'm saying, okay, well, if you hire this person, here's how you can develop them, here's how you can onboard them, and here's how you can tell them to onboard themselves. You know, if they know, you know, you, you like to work collaboratively, they're a little bit more of an independent worker, well, here's how you can integrate yourself into that, that environment that might make it a little bit less, um, less harsh, less of a, you know, it's all about steepening, you know, making the learning curve a little bit easier um, and increasing sp speed to proficiency. Gotcha, so what I'm hearing is that it, it's not one size fits all um, and that you need to play to everybody's strengths. So that's also important to getting the best out of your people. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, there's a lot of research on the strength finder idea. Um, there's, you know, the books and the ideas and the philosophy and really positive psychology is where a lot of these ideas come from. And it's putting people in the position that they can be successful. Um, you know, if you know, for instance, this is something that I don't like doing. This is something that I'm not good at. So hire somebody on your team that could supplement that where your weakness is their strength and then you really have two people running on, on full steam. So a classic example that comes to my mind is you don't burden a, a salesperson, for example, with a lot of administrivia and logging time and so forth and spreadsheets. It's just an anathema to them. Their head will explode. Exactly. And there, there are some things where it's hard and, and you know what, this is just what they need to do. And you can teach them how to do it. You can teach them, you know, where do you incentivize this? Where do you, where, where do you make sure that it's something that they know that it's important to the job? And it's all about connecting the why. Um, a big piece of why turnover happens and what people want, especially millennials, is they want to feel like they're contributing 
to the greater good and they feel yeah. like they want to be able to connect what their role is and what they're doing to the overall organization success. So if you say, hey, you need to do this documentation because if you don't document the sale, then the manufacturing team doesn't know what to make. Um, at least they can make that connection. They can, you know, so it doesn't it, even have to be super deep. That's fascinating. I want to continue to talk about this and other things that we talked about at the beginning of the program, but we've got to take a quick commercial break, pay a few bills. We'll be right back with Behind the Numbers. Don't go anywhere. Independent living for seniors age 62 and over, People Inc. offers safe, maintenance-free apartments across Western New York. The affordable rent is income-based. For more information, call People Inc. Senior Living at 817-9090. In a world where bankers have lost all interest, where robots and fat cats rule our fortunes, one woman Hi. will stand up and strive to do the impossible. Be treated like a person. Friends and neighbors will join her quest. Ordinary people will band together against the forces of corporate greed. And together, they will form Philadelphia Federal Credit Union, already in a neighborhood near you. Assurance. It's a word, a touch, a look that sparks a feeling. Peace of mind that everything will be all right. These are the moments that inspire us to do more than you'd ever expect from a car insurance company at a price that's less than you'd expect. This is more than just insurance. This is Plymouth Rock Assurance. Visit us at PlymouthRock.com. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. Today my guest is Mark Prine and we're talking about your most valuable asset, people. Uh, coming in after the commercial break, I'd like to have my guests talk about something that I call the bottom line, which is tips, tricks, takeaways, and insights that you, our viewers, can immediately take action upon. And Mark, what would you offer our viewers as your key bottom line takeaways as they're watching today? Sure. Um, the number one thing I would say is the ideas that we're talking about, the idea of people analytics and data to manage your team, uh, organizational psychology, uh, it's approachable. It's easy. It's something as simple as making sure that you're asking every candidate that you're interviewing for uh, the same questions. That's going to help you um, have an apples to apples comparison of everybody and really make better hiring decisions. Uh, the structured interview versus the unstandard, tell me about a time, you know, tell me about yourself or walk me through your resume. Uh, that's going to give you insights into a candidate that you didn't even know that you could tease out just by asking simple behavioral questions. That's good stuff. And we're going to continue our conversation. But before we do, for the folks who are watching, I'm mm -hmm. sure they're interested in how they can contact you. What's the best way for people to reach you? Sure. Um, so I can be contacted through my website, which is mipconsultingllc.com. Um, my email address, mark uh, 
at MIPConsultingLLC.com uh, or Twitter, uh, MIP2604 is my Twitter handle. Very good. So MIP, M-I-P. M-I-P, Management MIP. Integrating Psychology. Exactly what we're talking about. That's it. So I want to do a little bit of nuanced conversation here. When okay. you're talking with clients and prospects, mm -hmm. you've got the larger established firms, and at the other end of the spectrum, you may have some of the earlier stage or startup businesses. Mm -hmm. What are the distinctions between the two types of companies, and what should leaders in those entities be thinking about? Sure. Um, well, with a smart, smaller organization, every hire is so vital. Um, I did a project with, there were two person startup and they were hiring their third person, their, you know, their first number one employee. Uh, this person was going to get equity. This person was in charge of so much of, of the success or failure of this organization. Um, and you know, they, it was a software developer. It was somebody who was going to help them build their product. IBM could probably hire a thousand bad software developers a year, whereas this company, they couldn't afford to hire one bad one. Um, so really thinking about that and, and being more forward thinking, big picture, thinking long term um, about what you need just because somebody has a good resume and has the experience, kind of what I call the hand on keyboard type of experience that works, doesn't mean that they can do it here. Just because you worked at one of the big firms and you have the idea of how to develop in, in the languages and do the coding, um, can you do it without the structure? And thinking about what the structure is and what you want, that's where um, you can really get the most out of it. Um, from the big company perspective, uh, it's all about getting to the next level. It's all about thinking, where do we want to go? Are we thinking about our, engaging our people? Uh, employee retention right now is huge. Um, there are more people, uh, there are more jobs than there are people to fill them in our country right now. So finding out what are the things that I can do to keep people another year, another six months, uh, that makes a significant impact on your bottom line. Yeah, no question, because I, I don't remember the exact statistic, but something to the effect of it, it takes X amount of months or years to get somebody fully productive, mm -hmm. uh, but the average tenure is not much longer than that time when they reach productivity. So it is expensive. You want to try and minimize turnover. Exactly. And, and some of the things that we've been talking about will really increase the speed to proficiency. So really cut down on that time that it takes for somebody to be fully, uh, fully productive. Faster ROI. Faster ROI. Individuals. There it is. Cheap pop. But I like it. <laughs> so let me ask you a question about entrepreneurship. Sure. So and again, the, the, the two spectrums, the larger established business, the IBM in your, in your example, and the entrepreneurial shop, the startup. If you've got a candidate that's of an entrepreneurial nature, mm -hmm. is that more valuable in either one of those organizations or is that possibly a deficit? Well, it matters what you're asking them to do. Um, if you have somebody who's highly entrepreneurial and they're going to be sitting in the back of a, a, of a company and just running financials all day, that's probably not what you want. Um, if you, however, have a new service line or have an opportunity where something, there's an idea and we need to make that come to fruition, a big company can really capitalize on somebody who's entrepreneurial. It, it's really what, what's the role and, and how is this person going to react within it. Yeah, and I guess leaders need to be aware of what entrepreneurship means to each of their candidates and give them the latitude to play to their strengths. I exactly. You're not going to see somebody, you know, entrepreneurship and being entrepreneurial has kind of become a buzzword that you hear get thrown around in interviews all the time. And right. it's, you know, my biggest weakness is I work too hard and all of those other things that just kind of play into it. So really asking what does that mean and, and digging down past those buzzwords. Right. Let's talk about uh, a merger and acquisition scenario. Uh, many of our viewers are uh, chief financial officers, they're CEOs, they're in the private equity space, they're mm -hmm. doing deals, they're 
buying and selling businesses, but if you're thinking about buying a business in particular, how do you think about this most valuable asset and the, the integration and making sure you've got the right fit and the right roles going forward? Sure. So one statistic that I read recently for in, in research is that 42% of mergers are going to are failing, and it has something to do with people. It has something to do with the management team not coming together. It has something to do with the org design or the structure of the company and you know putting those two pieces together, or it has to do with the people integration. And, and how do you take two teams and make them one in some cases? How do you? Sure. Um, so I recently worked on something where technology was a big piece of it, and they needed these two technology teams to come together well. Um, so what we did was uh, identified, you know, worked with leadership, where do you want to go? Not necessarily where you are, but if this merger is successful, what will that look like? You know, identified the knowledge, skills, abilities, competencies, the things we talked about earlier as being important, and really assessed each one of the individuals on that future state. Not necessarily what are they doing today, but where do they want to go? And then provided individualized coaching, um, both coaching the manager and saying, here's what some themes are within your team of, of how you get your people into where you want to go. Uh, and then I sat down one-on-one -on -one with each one of those individuals and said, this is what we were looking to measure. This is where we are. And, and let's, let's talk about you individually and how you can be successful within your role. Good stuff. So we talked a little bit about the front end, the interview process. Mm -hmm in the candidate selection. And ideally, we want to retain all our employees, but inevitably, some people leave. Mm -hmm. What's the value of the exit interview? I mean, are you, do you find that people are really candid, forthcoming, and sharing why they're actually leaving? They are. Um, you know, a lot of exit interviews are a little cookie cutter, where you're just kind of going through the HR check checklist. Um, but when you can engage somebody and have a real conversation, uh, you can find out a lot about your organization that people aren't willing to share when they're just employees, when they're still employees. So who are you working with inside an organization? Are you working directly in the C-suite or are you working in the HR silo? Um, it's, it's been anywhere and everywhere. I've, I've worked with HR and talent development and learning and development. Um, I've done work with CFOs or chief information officers who are looking to understand their team, CEOs obviously, um, and then people in the business. I've done work with the you know, head of sales for an organization and helping them optimize their sales team or um, you know, looking at other aspects that way. Yeah, a lot of times this topic is talked about as being the war for talent, but you mentioned earlier that it's kind of a buyer's market at this point, right? It, it is. I mean, the people who are interviewing have all of the power. Um, with, with the way that the job market looks right now, um, it's great, and, and they can pick and choose. Uh, but what that leads to is companies kind of selling something that doesn't necessarily exist, and that leading to, to turnover, yeah. um, or throwing money at the problem. And, and that's also something people, you know, obviously compensation is important, and that's an easy thing for people to look for. Um, but if you promise somebody meaningful work, and you have somebody who sees your organization as a way to achieve their goals, um, that's really what's going to keep them. Uh, I actually wrote my, my doctoral dissertation and all of my, re my personal research that I've done in academia was looking at predicting an employee engagement. Um, and employee engagement is vital and important because it has two sides of the coin. Um, a highly engaged workforce is less likely to turn over, less likely to burn out, more productive, higher customer satisfaction yeah. scores, all these good things that the company cares about. Um, and then the person uh, also cares about it, the individual who's highly engaged, less likely to burn out, higher job satisfaction, higher productivity, all of these other things. And yep. what I found was the 
closer that the organization goals and values are with the person's goals and values, um, the higher likely you are to be able to select the right person. So we just have a couple minutes left. Okay. And I'd like to flip the script on you just a little bit, if you sure. don't mind, so to speak. So previously, we've been talking about from the company perspective, what mm -hmm. they can do in attracting, retaining, developing talent. What advice would you offer a candidate who's going to be going on a job interview tomorrow afternoon? How can they make sure that what they're hearing really is the truth? How can they tease out the mm -hmm. right features? Yeah, um, it's all about asking the right questions, right? Uh, almost every interview has time at the end where the interviewer says, you know, ask me anything you'd like. Um, ask them about what part of the job, you know, has been stressful for them. Ask them about the organizational culture and what that really means. What does it look like? Um, ask, make sure that you're getting the realistic job preview if it's not something that the company's been forthcoming to. Um, make sure that it's clear, you're asking for clear expectations of what am I signing up for? Um, because at least then you can weigh your options. But it's a selling process, right? So if you're a company and you are desperate need to fill a role mm -hmm. and you've got people who may not be expert at conducting interviews, all they know is I've been working 100 hours every week, I need to get mm -hmm. a body in this chair. Um, you know, maybe they're kind of selling uh, on, on the position um, that may or may not necessarily be I entirely accurate. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. what, what does that candidate do to really try and hone in on understanding? Yeah, um, you know, asking questions like, you know, tell me about a situation that you think really paints a good picture of what this culture is. Um, where is this company going? Where do you see this role growing? What are the opportunities that I'm going to have at this organization? Uh, and then there are a ton of online resources. A lot of people are going to Glassdoor and saying this is what the company is really like. This is what it's like working here. Um, so reading those reviews and asking questions about those reviews. HR people read those reviews as well. Okay. Um, they know that there's out there and I'm sure that if you bring one up, they'll be able to say, oh yeah, there's I know that one. I know who that person was. Okay, so I was just um, going to ask you, do people actually pay attention to those things? More and more. Um, yeah, there are some HR analytics dashboards that are actually pulling in Glassdoor reviews and um, making that a data point that HR cares about. Nice, great. I would love to continue this conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So today my guest was Mark Prine of MIP Consulting or MIP Consulting, depending on your pronunciation. Uh, I'm Dave Bookbinder of Pine Hill Group, and this is Behind the Numbers. We'll see you next time. Take care. My name's Casey Price, host of a brand new show called Everyday Elder Care. My show will help you take the stress out of caring for your elderly loved one by educating you about options and